The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 7 to 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why, um, he, that's why, that, that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother's wife, whom he had, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and, the, and leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, you know, we're jumping back into this series in the Gospel of Mark, and two weeks ago I talked about Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to mention a couple things about that, um, and then we're going to talk about these two stories that we read about here, and I'll kind of finish the story, verses 23 to 29 in my sermon, so you can hear about what happens in the rest of the story. Um, but before I do that, I kind of want to pause for a second and just take in, just for a moment, what's happening. So this is 2021. Um, this is the first time I've preached in 2021, it's the first time I've been in grace on 2021 to preach. Like, there's a lot of new things that have happened in 2021. Um, and, and as we kind of reflect on 2020, uh, I thought about, like, our sermon and what we should maybe be processing together. And so, you know, the title of the sermon is, you know, we're sent into potentially hostile yet fruitful territory. Like, that's how 2020 felt to me. Hostile territory and yet Fruitful. In 2020, my family moved 60 miles from where we live now in Sugarland. We came up here. Walker started school at the Woodlands High School. Avery and William continued. Uh, William went to Blinn, and Avery's at A&M, and like they're kind of doing their thing. Jamie and I have made new friends here in the Woodlands. We've kind of embedded ourselves and gotten to know folks. We're part of different ministries. Jamie and I have our own little workout places. Like we're start. This is starting to become home for us. But I kind of want to say something because I've been here since July and really I still have new eyes on what it is God is doing at Grace. I left here in 2007 and coming back here, so much has changed and yet the main thing is still the same, centering on Jesus, hearing his gospel, being centered on God's grace, 
But I've had a chance to talk with every one of our elders. I've talked to all of our ministry team leaders. I've met with all of our deacons. Um, I've seen all of the volunteers in our church at work. I've made some brand new friends who are, you know, the youngest among us here at Grace. I still haven't talked to everyone. Um, but what I see going on at Grace is a place where there is fruit taking place, even in the midst of hostile territory. And on January 24th, we're going to have a congregational meeting, and, I'll, and we'll talk more about that. Your session will talk more about how we're thinking about the year. But here's what I want you to know. In 2020, in January of 2020, your session prayed that God would provide for this church. I had nothing to do with this. I wasn't here. But they were praying that God would provide for us, and almost to the exact amount God provided for us this year. And if you remember in December, the session I said to you, we're going to figure out what happens, whatever giving comes in this year, we're going to learn how to live on that. It's, you know, we're going to survive on it, we're going to thrive on it, but we're going to, we're going to make it work. And God has been gracious. And so 2021, I'm excited to say, is going to be a year where we're not just thinking about uh, how to survive. It's actually God intends for us to continue to thrive. And if you want to know where we're going to thrive, it's going to be centered on God's word and clinging to his grace and learning more about him and thinking about what it means to follow him when he sends us into potentially hostile yet fruitful territory. In this story uh, with the disciples and with Herod and what happens to John the Baptist, all of that you see is hostile territory. And yet, even in the midst of it, it's fruitful. And wouldn't it be exactly like God, if Jesus is who he says he is, as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark in the fall, wouldn't it be just like God to say, you know, as much as 2020 is going to throw at you, I'm going to show you how the church is going to thrive anyway. And that's what he's doing. It's really beautiful. And I want you to take that in as someone who's a part of grace, to not just take it for granted, um, but that God has actually answered our prayers and he's continued to support us. He's continuing to provide for us. He's continuing to allow us to meet like we are because he has intentions for us to enter into potentially hostile yet fruitful territory. So we start here in Mark and let me kind of remind you in Mark chapter six, verses one to six, what I talked about two weeks ago. If you remember, Jesus is, he's with people and he's teaching and everyone is amazed at Jesus. Everyone's amazed. They're astonished at who Jesus is, about what he's been teaching and what he's been saying and what he's been doing. Everyone watching and listening has been, has been thinking, this is astounding. Jesus is amazing. He is the real deal. Like, it's incredible. And then as they're amazed, they begin to remember it's just Jesus. You know, Jesus, the guy with these brothers and these sisters and his mother Mary, and we remember Joseph. He's just one of us. Actually, we're offended by him. And so in a very short period of time, they go from being amazed at who Jesus is to being offended at who he is. And Jesus sees that and says, okay, what I'm doing at this moment is falling on deaf ears. And so I'm going to hone in on the most desperate among us. And he begins to heal people and take care of those who are weak. But then we read this in verse 6, that Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. The God of heaven and earth looks at them and says, I'm amazed at your lack of faith. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive to be able to, to make Jesus go, that's amazing. And I'm not saying it's a one-to-one -one ratio, but God has cared for us this year. And we should continue to pray. We should continue to be amazed at his provision. And Jesus is inviting us into that just as he's inviting these people. And then we come to verses 7 to 13, which is the first part of this, where Jesus sends his disciples out. And then 14 through 29 is about this party, you know, King Herod throwing his own birthday party, and us learning a little bit about his interactions with John the Baptist. And so 7 to 13, Jesus sends his disciples out. They've been watching him teach. And remember, as I said in those verses just before this, they watched Jesus speak. 
They watched people be amazed and intrigued by what Jesus has to say. Then they watched people reject him. And then they watched his response. And so here we come in verse 7, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go out, and um, you're going to have the ability to cast out unclean spirits. You're going to have the ability to heal people, which remember, miracles in the New Testament are always meant to reveal to us the kind of kingdom that God is coming, is bringing to bear on our world now, in part, but in, a, in the future, in perfection, right? So we're getting glimpses. We're getting insights into what's happening here. And Jesus is saying, you're my sent ones, and you're going to be able to cast out unclean spirits. You're going to be able to heal people. You're going to be able to tend to people so that they can see in my kingdom what reigns is not death and disease, but life and restoration. That's what my kingdom's about. So he sends them out. But if you're thinking about packing for a trip, you might think you need money. You might think you need a bag. You probably need some cliff bars, right? Well, Jesus says to them, look, don't take any bread, don't take any bags, and don't take any money, but I want you to go on a journey. What's up with that? You know, if you're a disciple, if you're following Jesus and you're thinking, Jesus is sending me out into a new place, what am I going to need with me? You're probably thinking your cool little brand new, like, handmade leather bag, right? And then you're thinking, I probably need some money because we're going to need to buy food, and I'm probably going to need some bread. Like, we're going to need to eat. And Jesus calls them to go out anyway, only with what he gives them. Now, there's a little bit of a, 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 something that, that we get to apply to ourselves. I don't think what is happening here in the scriptures is that you're being encouraged to go on a hike and not take anything with you and see what you find out there. That's not what's happening. But there is a principle here. Jesus is telling them, I want you to go out with what I'm telling you you need. And I don't want you to worry about you taking the things you think you will need. You think you're going to need money. You think you're going to need bread. You think you're going to need a bag. I don't want you to take that. What you're going to need is to trust me. The life of a Christian, as you think about this concept of entering into a potentially hostile space and territory, yet it being fruitful, is that we have to entrust ourselves and all of who we are to Jesus all the time. That, that is the spiritual walk. And the disciples are having to do this in a very tangible way in this moment. They're having to entrust themselves to Jesus and not take with them what they think they will need to go on this journey that he's asking them to go on. They're just going to have to trust him. And so they're going to have to entrust themselves to Jesus. Now, we hear more about what happens to the disciples later, but they go on this journey, and as they go into these places, they do meet with people. They are rejected. Jesus warns them and says that's going to happen. And when that happens, to dust your feet and to go somewhere else. And, you know, I've heard Christians use this to sort of justify um, sort of chastising and abandoning people, right? You know, to pull the, the Dwight move of, you know, shunned, right? You're shunned. You're shunned, I'm dusting my feet, you're shunned. That's not what's happening here. These disciples are being sent on a very specific mission to imitate the ministry of Jesus, which calls us, of course, to also tell people about him. But you notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, okay, if they don't accept, then slay them. He doesn't say if they don't accept, make sure you tell everyone so their, you know, their reputations are maligned and abused. What does he say? I want you to leave. Even the dust from your feet, I want you to leave. You're going to have to entrust them to me. Leave it with me. You've done what I've asked you to do. You've prayed. You've spoken. You've obeyed me. Now I want you to leave it to me. Are you seeing this principle? Jesus is calling us to entrust even something like telling someone about him to him. You know, to live our lives being entrusting ourselves to him. Okay, so that story happens. And then we come into this story with Herod. Now, you know, the disciples are people. They're normal. 
Herod is like royalty. And what we're seeing is the kingdom break in in both the normal and mundane as well as in this royal realm with Herod and Herodias, his daughter, and his granddaughter, and his brother Philip, who have this very strange relationship, right? What we read is that um, Herod, Herod's daughter, Herodias, wanted to, marry her, wanted to marry his brother, his uncle, you know, her uncle, to marry him. And so that happens. Herod approves of that. And then they have a daughter, and the daughter is there, and she's dancing. Now, people have been hearing about Jesus. Herod's been hearing about Jesus. Jesus' words are going out to people that are just normal, out into the villages where the disciples are being sent. But even here in this royal court, the word of who Jesus is and what he's saying and what he's doing has risen because there are rumors flying. And people are amazed at what they're hearing about Jesus, so much so that they begin to say, okay, well, how can I explain this? Maybe it's John the Baptist. Now, Herod knows he's in prison, John the Baptist, because his daughter doesn't like John the Baptist because she said that his, her marriage is unlawful, it's taboo, it's not what God calls you to. And so Herod has imprisoned him because he likes spending time with him. He appreciates what he says. He treats him as a holy man, but he realizes he can't just let him roam free because of what that would mean for his daughter. Okay? So people are talking about Jesus, and they're saying, maybe it's John the Baptist. Herod knows that can't be the case. And then they're saying, well, maybe it's Elijah. Now, do you know why that would be? If you read in the Older Testament, there's a promise that one day Elijah and Moses will join the Messiah. And so people are beginning to wonder, wait a minute. Is Elijah come back? Like John the Baptist was a prophet. Maybe Elijah's coming. Like what's taking place here? So all these rumors are flying about who Jesus is. And King Herod, although he's interested in that, he really is interested in John the Baptist. And so he imprisons John the Baptist. And then the day comes where it's his birthday. And what should a king do but throw throw a birthday party for himself, right? So King Herod throws a birthday party. And, you know, he's being reminded, you know, that John has said that even what we're doing in this moment is something that God's not approving of. Like, your granddaughter is here dancing, and your daughter is married to your brother. It's, it's very, you know, it's, it's sort of a picture of what's going on in their hearts. The king is hearing what John's saying. It's interesting, but he's not wanting to believe it. And we do that as Christians sometimes. You know, sometimes we hear God's word and we think, okay, that makes sense, but it's just really not where I'm going. Or think about it like this. We may think, okay, God's word's logical, right? It's right to forgive. It's right to not be bitter. It's right to be humble. I can see that. But we think to ourselves, the problem with that is it may be logical, but it's not realistic because you really don't know my situation. Or we might think, hey, that sounds sacred. That sounds good. I appreciate what you're saying, kind of like King Herod. But the problem with it is it's very impractical because the consequences of me following God in this area are just so impractical that I just shouldn't do it. And that's kind of where King Herod was camped. Or maybe we hear God's word and we think that's really wise, but it's very naive. And King Herod is hearing this and he's, he's hearing God's word because John's telling him it. And he's like, uh, I hear it, it's interesting, but I don't really believe it and embrace it. And that's part of our own spiritual journey of hearing God's word and thinking, okay, it's right to forgive, it's right to be gracious, it's right to be humble, but it's just way too painful. It's impractical. It's naive. That's really not how the world works. I don't really want to lean into it. Now, what I'm pressing you to consider is to ask yourself the question of what do you really worship? What is the thing in your life you think to yourself, okay, this is my ultimate goal. Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's satisfaction. Maybe it's knowing God's word. For Herod, he has these different desires. For the disciples, they have different desires. Herodias has different desires. 
Because at the banquet, we read that her daughter is dancing around and her grandfather says, you're an amazing dancer. I'm going to give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she goes, that's incredible. I get half the kingdom. And so what does she do? She runs off and talks to her mother. And her mother says, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head. Now just think about this. That's super weird and gory. But the daughter has been promised by the king, I will give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. If you're her parent, what kind of advice are you going to give her? What about security? What about money? What about a place and a station and maybe land and a place to be? What's the one thing she asks for? It's for the death of John the Baptist because of how he's spoken and how he's taught and how he's perhaps influenced Herod's thinking about her marriage. What does she worship? What is the thing she's looking to for life? The biblical concept of this is idolatry. We really don't talk this way much in our normal cult, you know, in the culture around us. But when we look to anything to give us what only God can give us, we're essentially making it an idol. We are worshiping it. We're saying to ourselves, if I can have that thing or if I can be that person, if I can accomplish this goal, if I can reach this whatever it is, I will be satisfied. I'll be happy. It'll be okay. I'm looking to it to give me what only God can give me. But there's all sorts of problems with idols. They deceive, they lie, and they often don't really tell you the consequences. Now, I don't know if you've seen the new Wonder Woman film, Wonder Woman 1984. You may or may not see it. I'm not going to ruin it for you here today. It hadn't been out long enough. But I'm going to tell you this. The whole point of the story, as you'll see very early on, is that there's a way for you to have a wish granted. Any wish you want. And people make all sorts of wishes around the world. And what they discover is that this is real. It's actually working. You can make a wish for money or for someone to no longer exist or for uh, a land or to conquer or whatever you want to wish for. You can ask for it and your wish will be granted. The problem is, is what they're not told when they ask for this wish is that there's something attached to it. And sometimes it's a mild consequence. But other times, the consequence is so severe that they think to themselves this, you know what, I would have rather not had my wish granted than deal with the consequences of, of, of the cost of my wish. That's what sin does. That's what an idol is. An idol promises us a way forward that's other than God's ways. And the problem with that is it's only God's ways that always lead to life and goodness and joy and fulfillment. Other idols lead to other places. Sometimes they lead to temporary joys. You know, if you win the lottery, you know, it's, it's going up, right? If you win the Powerball or whatever, you're going to have fun for a while, for sure. But it's not going to be enough. Even then, you're going to feel broke and empty. empty. Excuse me. <coughs> kind of like my voice. Can you give me some water? <clears throat> Thanks, Kyle. <clears throat> Even then, you're going to feel broke and empty. It's not going to be enough. Idols deceive and they lie. And that whole Wonder Woman film is about that. But you see it take place right here in this story. Start with the disciples. Why do you think Jesus told them, hey, don't take money, don't take bread, don't take a bag? Why? Part of it is because they would have thought, in order for this journey to be successful, I know what I'm going to need. I'm going to need a bag. I'm going to need some money. I'm going to need some... Uh, I'm going to need, you know, the things in my bag to protect me. I'm going to need bread. I'm going to need all these things in order for this to be successful. And Jesus goes, what I want you to do is to entrust yourself to me. 
I want you to actually lean on me so much that you're going to depend on me for this to go well. And they're being invited into that. The beautiful thing is they yield to Jesus in that. They follow him and they do incredible things. Then we come to King Herod. What's going on with him? You know, with King Herod, he's heard what John the Baptist has said. You can go back and read the text. He's puzzled by what John the Baptist says. He treats John the Baptist and knows that he's a holy man. There's something unique and special about him. He hears him, but he chooses not to believe him. So he's heard what John the Baptist has had to say, but he's not trusting him. Thank you, Kyle. What's happening? Who is Herod trusting in that moment? Is he trusting God's word or is he trusting something else? Well, he's trusting his own wisdom. And we get insight into what he's really thinking in verse 26. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Okay? So Herod knows that John the Baptist is a righteous and holy man and yet chooses not to trust him, chooses to take his life. Why? What is Herod's main thing? You read later in verse 29 or in 27, 28, Herod keeps the request that the the granddaughter makes because he doesn't want to disappoint everyone in the banquet. The cost of King Herod getting what he thinks he really needs to keep his oath is the life of John the Baptist. That's his idol. If he wants to impress everyone, if he wants to keep his oath, it's going to cost him having John the Baptist killed, which he knows is a problem because John is both holy and righteous, and he's intrigued by him. He's puzzled by him. For Herod, he desires to have power, power to give and power to take away. What does he want to give? Well, to his granddaughter, he wants to give her anything she wants up to half the kingdom. You can have anything you want up to half the kingdom, but he also has the power to take away. It's why he has John the Baptist killed. What does Herod want? He wants to be omnipowerful. He wants to play the role of God in this moment. And the problem is, is anytime we try to play God, not only are we not good at it, We can't really anticipate how bad it's going to be because it's deceptive, but we can't do it anyway. The result of Herod doing what he thought was right is this sorrow over John the Baptist being taken and taking the life of someone who he knew was holy. His power, even there, is dark and distorted. Or consider Herodias, his daughter. Herodias could have told her daughter to ask for security for her and her family. could have told her to ask for provision for her future children. She could have asked to have a royal seat. She could have asked for so many things. Herodias asks for one thing, the head of John the Baptist. Why? Vengeance and vindication. Have you ever felt like you need to be justified so bad you'll say anything, you'll do anything, you'll raise your voice? I remember when my daughter Avery was like two years old. I wanted her to do something, and I raised my voice at her, and I thought to myself, I just yelled at a little girl with pigtails and a cute little dress on who's now crying because I raised my voice. That's crazy. I, I actually thought somehow raising my voice in that moment would help her get on board with what I want. You ever have a desire for vindication, no matter the cost? Well, what about this? If you've ever had an argument in your marriage, Jamie and I, we test this out. We do this periodically. We have arguments. You know what's hard in an argument is when you're both going at it, you're both maybe heated, slightly heated. Is anyone ever going to say, you know what, you're, you're right. I am sorry. You're right, and I forgive you, and I love you, and I just, I'm sorry. Now, if you do that, I want to talk to you because you should lead like a marriage conference for us here at Grace Presbyterian Church. But what God tells us is that he gives grace to the humble. Why do we struggle so much to be humble if God says, 
Here's a formula. I give grace to the humble and oppose the proud for the same kind of struggle that Herodias has. No matter the cost, she wants to be vindicated. And no matter where it leads, she wants to be justified. Look at the heart of Christ in this. You don't have this verse in your text, and you can go back and read it, but in verse 29, what you read is that the disciples, after hearing about John the Baptist's death, come back and they place him in a tomb. And that's the word that's used. Now, when you hear tomb in the Gospel of Mark, does anything else come to mind? And you think about Jesus being in the tomb. Now, there's a connection there. John the Baptist, Jesus' prophet, the one who comes and bears the way before him and points out who he is, is placed in a tomb by the disciples. Why? Because what's being shown to us here, what's being foreshadowed here, is what we're going to discover later in Mark, is that when Jesus enters a tomb, he comes out of the tomb empty. The tomb is empty, and he's resurrected. The disciples are burying John in what seems to be an incredibly dangerous situation, hostile, with the promise of fruit, even resurrection. So a couple things for you to think about as we head into 2021 together. I don't know what your idols are. I could probably guess some of them, but I promise you have them. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, there's really nothing that I put above the Lord. There's really nothing I look to to give me life and satisfaction and hope. There's just nothing. I need you to look closer. Everybody looks to something to give them what only the Lord can give them. And part of the process of repentance, part of the process of growing in grace, part of experiencing the things that Jesus promises, even in this text as he sends his disciples out to see the kingdom come to bear, is our understanding that God is at work in us personally. It's part of why Kyle prayed as he did from Dr. Chapel's prayer that was sent out this week. Is we need to pray that God makes us a gracious, humble people. That he would do that because he gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. And we want to invite him to teach us to be gracious. If you want to see the path of not listening to God's grace, just read the story about Herod. King Herod throwing a birthday party with an incredibly taboo, distorted series of relationships, has to destroy someone he knows is holy. A woman is vindicated in her own mind. I'm sure no one really cared. The daughter, who could have had everything, takes away nothing. All, why? Seeking the goals of something other than what God has for us. God calls us into leaning into his promises because his promises always lead to something better than any idol could ever provide or promise. He's gracious to us. Now, I've mentioned this back in December. It's official. This year, if you're wondering about a scripture to memorize, I'm going to encourage you to memorize 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. It's super short, but it does a good job, I think, sort of giving us a trajectory as we think about our lives this year and we think about what's going on in the Gospel of Mark, that we're a part of a kingdom that's breaking in in normal places like villages, and even in the upper realms like the government, or for Herod, the royal circles. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only Son, that we might live through him. When we seek to live through him, when we seek to trust God's word, when we seek to say, okay, God, I want to work out what it means to live through you. The result is always God's blessing. It's always God's mercy. It's always God's grace. You know, for Jesus, as he followed his father, it led him to the cross, but it led to resurrection. For John the Baptist, it led to being imprisoned and his life being taken, but being placed in the tomb in waiting for the resurrection. 
The disciples trusted Jesus. They go out and accomplish exactly what Jesus called them to, to make his kingdom more clearly seen. My prayer for us at Grace in 2021 is we hear that, that promise from 1 John chapter 4 that God has actually given us the ability to find life in Christ, to live through him. As we approach the table this morning, maybe just consider that. Lord, what would it mean for me to actively think about living through you this week and in this year because your ways always lead to life? Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we consider your word and we think about the story of the disciples being sent out into potentially hostile yet fruitful territory, we think about John the Baptist being sent out um, and eventually imprisoned into hostile yet fruitful ter- territory, Lord, we think about our own lives. As we follow you this year, as we remember your promises, as we seek to live through you, we certainly will enter into potentially hostile places. And yet you promise to bring fruit because you are faithful and your kingdom will prevail. Would you give us faith to believe that and to live it, to find our joy and our hope in you? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.